0: Mark The book of Mark, if you're a regular, you should already have this sealed, you should already have your sweat and tears in there, and maybe your blood occasionally as well. We have been here for many months, many years, a couple years now, but uh, in a couple weeks, we're going to be studying Mark 13 in Sunday school, and guess what? We're going to have a sermon from Mark 13 as well, so it was not planned that way, it just happened to providentially be that way, so deal with it, that's all I can say. Well, you know, as humans, we love to have the biggest and greatest, don't we? We love that sort of thing. So uh, as we're opening up here, I want to give you some of the biggest, oddest records that I could find with my trusty Google assistant by me. Here is one great or mega record for you. This record was probably will never be broken. It was the biggest barbecue attempt in the world 30,000 pounds of beef all cooked at the same time and given out to the needy and to the homeless, by the way, in Australia. So if you're hungry, well, uh, well, let me go on. Here's another one. 553 pregnant ladies all doing yoga at the same time at a prenatal visit in China. That was a great record. That was broken. Uh, let's not try and tip that record here, okay? We'll let that be. This one might be your cup of tea. In Chicago, or a few years ago, they had the idea, and they ended up taking it to Minnesota. 6,261 Twins fans, Minnesota Twins fans, had a pillow fight after the Twins game one night. It was the greatest, the biggest pillow fight that's ever happened before. <sighs> How about this one? Some of you love coffee. A team of six set the new record with a cup so big that it was 1,122 gallons of cappuccino, espresso, coffee whatever that oh and it is the biggest record on record. You're not impressed yet, are you? So I don't know what we could break. But we love these records, don't we? We love the odd, the Guinness Book of World Records, Ripley's Believe It or Not. We love those types of things. But if I were to ask you, who is the greatest leader, who would you say? Would you say Jesus, Muhammad? Would you say, well, maybe it's Augustus Caesar? Or who is the greatest American leader? Was it Lincoln, Washington, Roosevelt, Obama, Trump? You're someone future in here? Who is it? You would debate that until the cows come home. Or what about sports? Who's the greatest baseball player? Was it Ruth? Was it Barry Bonds? Was it Willie Mays? Was it Hank Aaron? Or the greatest football player? Was it Patrick Mahomes? Jim Brown? Jerry Rice? Joe Montana? Or Walter Payton? Or the greatest basketball player? Was it LeBron or Michael? That's all you really need to say. <laughs> Which one was it? Or Bill Russell, Bird, or You go on and go on. Or the best movie? Was it Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, Godfather, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, or Raiders of the Lost Ark? Or all those are pretty good. I can't decide, so it's all okay. And we have the greatest of all things, don't we? We love the greatest. We love to be the greatest. We love to try the greatest. And that is such a thing because even back in these days, we have sung, that was the question that was debated. God, what is the greatest commandment? What is it? And debates ensued from side to side, Jew to Jew, leader to leader for centuries, and Jesus is going to solve that great debate for us today. But even today, church size is not as important as the greatest size the gospel size mcdonald's can't even do that for you whether you have a mega church or a mini church do we have a great the greatest size gospel in our churches that is our prayer isn't this what the scripture says the works of the lord are great studied by all those who take pleasure in them god is so great that we can search him out for a lifetime and we will never settle everything that there is to be about him isn't that awesome And this verse that we're going to read, this chapter we're going to study, is going to bring that up, the greatest, the greatest commandment. Well, we hinge everything on, and Jesus is going to tell us there's no middle ground. There's no middle options. There's no 1A, subset B, point, bullet, here, there, whatever. It is, this is it. This is what it's all about, the greatest commandment. And he's going to make a delineation that if you follow this great commandment, you're going to be in the kingdom. But if you don't follow this greatest commandment, you're not in the kingdom. You're an outsider to the kingdom. And so we must cross over and change our citizenship, as it were, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Yet in America today, especially in churches today, we don't really like to Think that way. We like to be the greatest church at this, the greatest church at that, when really simply all God wants us to do is live out His greatest command. And that is where we are. So are we building with Him today in our lives, in our churches? Are we building around Him the greatest command He gave us, or are we not? And there's always a war of love that's fought in our churches and in our hearts. Will we be ruled by the love for God above all and for others, or will we be ruled by another lover that takes our time? This morning, this is nothing new to most of you, but it's a good reminder for all of us, all of you, me included, that our big idea is we're called to love God. We're called to love our neighbor. But it's not our love for God, isn't based on how much we love him, but on his love for us that we do these things. And we're gonna meet a man today who comes to Jesus and asks him a question. Isn't that what they've been doing the last several weeks? feels like that guy in Jeopardy who's won like 20 weeks in a row and has made like a million dollars. And he gets asked question after question after question after question. And the question today, Jesus, is what is the greatest commandment? What is it? And Jesus is going to see a man who's intrigued, who's impressed, and who's interested in what he has to say. And this man, for all intents and purposes, is going to be interested in what Jesus has to say. Where everyone else has fought him, this man is going to say, wow, and Jesus is going to tell him, you're not too far from the kingdom of heaven. You know, maybe that's you today. Maybe you have someone who has lots of questions about Christianity, and they want to know the greatest truth of life, but they seem just to be on the outside like this man. Or maybe you're here today, and you are on the outside, and you need to know more about Jesus. So glad you're here. So, so glad you're here. But either way, we need to pay attention to what it said. Very simple outline today, very straightforward from the text. I want us to see two great commandments to live out, two great loves. We are called to love God. We are called to love others. I want to dig down deep in this today. So if you're able this morning uh, to stand in honor of God's Word, if you're visiting, we do this because the Lord uh, has shown us a pattern in Scripture. Why don't you stand together as we read a very familiar passage, but one in our pursuit of all the greats of this world that we often put to the side. The great commandment. And Mark 12, 28, hear the word of the Lord this morning. And one of the scribes came up and heard them, that's Jesus and, and the Sadducees disputing and with one another. And seeing he answered them well, he asked, them, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all, the greatest? And Jesus answered, and here's what he said, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And Jesus gives you some extra gravy on the plate. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there's no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all who burnt." much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And verse 34, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely or well, your translation might say, he said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Friends, we love the great records. We love the great things. We love the greatest of the great. But the greatest thing we have as Christians is the very simple thing to love God Love others. May we be glorifying to God as we read and study His Word today. We pray with me as we bow our heads together. Father, we come today knowing these truths. We've taught these to our children. We've taught these to our grandchildren. It may be easy to zone out mentally, but Father, I pray by Your Spirit, as Peter was wrote to his churches so many times, that we need to be reminded of the basics over and over, just like an athlete needs to be reminded of the basic things they learned as a kid to excel as a professional athlete, college athlete later on. Father, we thank you so much. Help us to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves to your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated, guys. Thank you so much. Well, the first charge we are given is is simply this. We are charged to love God above all. And you'll notice there in verse 28, you see the pertinent question there in verse 28. One of the scribes came to him and heard him arguing. This man had been on the witness stand, watch, or not the witness stand, but had seen Jesus on the witness stand watching these people come to him, asking him questions about marriage and, 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 and being the resurrection and all the things we've gone through the last several weeks. And he was intrigued. And he saw that Jesus answered him well, answered them well, and so he wanted to get his piece of the pie too. This man was a scribe. He was a man who was trained rabbinically in the law of Moses. He was brought up to be an interpreter and an application giver of God's word. He was ordained into the office, we might say today. He was both a biblical scholar and a theological scholar. By the way, there, uh, the, I saw last week that uh, a famous smiley preacher in Houston was uh, a, a consultant for a Bible program. That's about as contradictory as a side note you don't know who I'm talking about, he smiles wide and he gives lots of money away. But that's who he is. But be careful. Because just because you claim the name Bible scholar and theological scholar does not mean you actually are those things. But this man was the real deal. He lived what he taught. He breathed it. He slept it. He did everything with it. He was probably a Pharisee. But as a Pharisee, he knew that he could not stand beside Jesus because Jesus was calling him out. He was lining them up and mowing them down with his arguments. And the scribes are the power behind the throne. You know, you always wonder how presidents and people speak so well. It's the people that write the speeches that speak so well for them, right? And that's what the scribes did. They gave the interpretation of the law to the Pharisees and the leaders of Israel. And so for this man to come out by himself behind the scenes, behind the closed doors, and ask a question was actually a very big thing. And the very surprising thing is, we see nothing like it in any other gospel. It's the only time that a man receives positively from the leadership of Israel, save Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, publicly asking Jesus a question. In Matthew's account, he had met and huddled up with the other Pharisees, but in this account with Mark, he follows up with an individual question. And so that's what it is. And these people had it right. They, they wanted to honor God. Let's not forget that. The Pharisees would have been people like us. They were conservative evangelical types, they wanted to honor God. And so they took the laws of Moses, all 613 of them, and they put them in positive, negative, weighty, and not so weighty commandments. And they lined them all out. But there is this ongoing debate. Well, is this command more important than this one? Is this one more weighty than this one? Churches, we do this all the time. Is the green carpet more holy than the pink carpet that the pastor always talks about and wants to get? Is that song, that hymn from 400 years ago, better than this song of contemporary times? Should we have a projector in the screen or should we not? Should we even have microphones? Should we even sing with a guitar? All these debates that we have, such was the time in Israel. They were debating what was the greatest commandment. But the greatest commandment was what Jesus said, and we'll get there in just a minute. But he asked in a genuine way, what commandment is the most important? He's genuinely asking the question. Christian, let me just remind you today that, that as this man knew and Jesus explained, we are not to obey God to get things. We obey God to get God. Does that make sense? This man was not obeying God to get power, at least from what we can tell, he seemed sincere. He wanted to obey God to know more of God. When you come to church, you don't come to church to get that church feeling, that warm, fuzzy feeling. You come to church to get more of Christ. Our job as pastors is not to be your spiritual lifeline. We're just to point you back to Jesus and say, go to him. We're sinful. We want to help you go there, but he's who you need. And when this man is going to get his answer, it's a reminder. We don't obey God to get blessed. We are blessed if we obey God. That's a difference. Don't obey God to put a smile on his face he already delights in you as much as he could nonstop. Obey God because you love him. If you only obey God's word when it seems profitable to you, I can tell you what your idol is. Just like when your mom and dad said, if you obey and you do this, you'll get a treat at the very end. Well, there might be some, innocent, some motivation there that's innocent, but really, at the end of the day, we want that cookie bar that she promised us if we were good at grandma's house, right? And how much more spiritually? We obey God because we love God for what he is and what he's done for us. And so what I want to do now is remind us that if we get anything out of this sermon, may it be this. Let's break down, and we're going to spend the lion's share of our time right here, this command that Jesus says. Look back at verse 29. Jesus answered the man very clearly, did he not? He asked him, what commandment is most important or the greatest? And Jesus answered him, verse 29, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Pastor Nelson. Read this for us a few moments ago. That the greatest, the the priority, the number one, the bottom line is this: love the one true God, love Him with all your heart, love Him with all your soul, your mind, and your strength. And and they would, as Nelson read, they would take as you've seen those old pictures. They'd put uh, looks like they remind me of the the '80s movie, uh, 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 the one, the Kung Fu movie. What am I trying to say? Where, uh, you know, Karate Kid, thank you, it's been a weekend Karate Kid where they had those headbands around there And the Pharisees would wear headbands They have a little cup at the front And they'd put the commandments in there They'd have them on their wrists They'd have them on their doorposts Everywhere they went, the commandments were there You do that too in your house You have scripture on your walls Some of you have it plastered I've been in your cars with, with, on the dashboard It's on your smartphone. And in the same vein, why do we do this? We do this because there's no other God to whom it is due except the one true God. So I want to look here at eight features of what this means. Eight features, and these will come up one by one as Amy puts them up. But first, I want you to see what he's saying here. He's telling them what is called the Shema, uh, the the Hebrew word for listen. God is telling Israel, hey, listen up. Lend me your ears. Ye who has ears, let him hear says every parent ten times. He who has ears, let him hear. And this is what he tells us. So I want to break this down. What is Jesus saying about loving God? First, there is a priority here that comes. There is a priority. This is it. If you do anything in life, this is it. No other duties take precedent. This is why when Acts 5, when, when Peter and, and, and John were thrown in prison. They said, whether we are breaking laws, we don't know, but we are going to honor God. We're going to follow Christ. We need to please Christ. This is why Joshua said that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No other duty takes precedence. This commandment to love the Lord your God is the hub of the wheel around all other commandments rotate with it. There's a priority here. Church, we can debate all sorts of things. Should we have this person serve here? Should we do this as a church? Should this bylaw be put here? But if we miss this, we miss everything else. That's why when serving in this church, the number one thing we want you to do is to be spiritually fed before you physically serve. You've got to have this as a priority. If you do not love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength together with God's people how can you give that out to other people? The Lord's day takes priority, priority to love the Lord your God. Notice secondly, it's a command here, here. Come on, parents. How many times did you say that to your kids? Now listen up, listen up. Or if you know Charles Stanley, the preacher of the Southern Baptist, he says that a lot. Hey, listen, listen, listen. He does that a lot. And this is what he's doing. Listen, we must hear this daily, not just with our ears, but with our hearts. It's not a suggestion to love the Lord your God. It's not an option. It's not that would be good for a bucket list. It's a command. You must do this. And to hear this and not obey it is to not obey it at all. To be right with God or not. That's what the question comes down to. Is that what you want to do? Do you follow Christ or do you not? That's what it is. So there is not only a priority, there's a command. But notice number three, there's an exclusivity of it. The Lord the God is one. I just want you to think about this. We, 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 we swim in this every week, but we have the only true God. Every other person you know at work, at home, that does not know that Jesus Christ serves a false God fueled by Satan himself. Can I say that? People who do not follow this God do not follow things, friends. They follow the, the prince and qualities of this air. They follow Satan himself if they're not following Christ. Do you see that? You're either in or you're out. You're either for Christ or against Christ. You either know Christ or you don't know Christ. Well, that's really heavy, Pastor. Well, you know what? Jesus says here, the Lord God is one. That means the God of Mormonism is false, the God of Jehovah's Witnesses, that we don't worship the same God as Muslims because our Savior has risen from the dead, and He is God. That separates everything out. There's no other voices to pay attention to. There's only one God, and every other God is a sham and an imposter. And that's why he tells you that it deserves your allegiance. I mean, if you knew, uh, guys, come on, be honest. If you knew what your wife wanted every time she spoke to you, and you didn't have to decode a thousand signals and recode them in your mind and hope you spit out the right translation, would you not do that? Amen, men, come on. Ladies, you got it all figured out, so you don't have to worry about it. But it's true. If we could find the answer to those things, we would zoom in on that. If I knew how to raise my kids and do this and do that, friends, spiritually speaking, you have it. You're living it. You know it. You have the one true God. It's exclusive. John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except through or by me. It's exclusive, but it's inclusive, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can come and be saved. It's the most exclusive, inclusive faith that will ever happen. It's about Christ and not what we bring to the table. So this command is a priority. There's a command that's exclusive. There's also a demand here. Did you notice that? That you shall love the Lord your God. You can't ignore it. Love is sacrificial. If you're an underliner, underline that word love a thousand times. Highlight it. Love means to give sacrificially. It's not just emotions. Emotions are part of love, for sure, but emotions are not love. They change all the time. We should have a passion for God. It speaks of our choice that we have, that any point of our lives, we love Him or seek to love Him for who He is. There is a demand of it. If I'm a man and I swear to love my wife, I love that wife because that's who I swore to love. That means those pictures on the internet, that means that, that, that lady who's dressing scantily, walking by my eyes, although I may sin, I try to force them out. We do what we did in college, it's called a squirrel alert. Squirrel! You look away. That's what you do. Because I promise to love one woman for life for all time. Ladies, the same thing for you and guys, whatever it is. You've chosen devotion and commitment to one person. All other loves are false loves, and it requires a purposeful love that is a decisive act of your will. There is a demand for it. Number five, notice the object of your love. It's not just anyone, it's not just something. The object of your love is your greatest treasure. Jesus said, Where your heart is, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So too, as Jesus tells this man this command, that he reminds him that the greatest price he has isn't gaining status with the Pharisees, leading the Israelites, it's found in who God is. Friend, your greatest identity isn't your job, isn't your family, isn't your status, isn't your gifts, it's found in Jesus Christ. Your greatest identity is that you have been crucified with Christ, yet not I live, but the Son of God lives through me. And that's why Jesus said in Luke 14 that we're to hate our own mother, our own father, brother, sister, even our own life, or we cannot be his disciple. doesn't mean we shouldn't love those people. He's going to get to that next. But our greatest love should be that, that we love him first. But also, number six, notice the depth of the love here. He uses that keyword with. Did you notice that? With all, with all, with all, with all. This is a depthful love. There's, it's not syrupy. It's not hallmark cardi. It's not Jared Jewelry. It's not K Jewelry. This love is a love that is deep. This word with means out of. Out of your love, out of your heart, out of your soul, out of your mind, out of your strength comes this desire to honor Him above all things. Number six, the object of your love or the depth of your love. That means this love that we have for Jesus isn't superficial, sappy, happy-clappy. Jesus is my boyfriend. Therefore, I'm going to love him and worship him. Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he deserves not just a surface love, but from the deepest parts of us, a love that overflows for what he has done for us. Seven, notice the totality of the love, the totalness of the love. You, it, not only is it with, it's all, it's all of it. It's not just part of it. It's all of it. All your love is to be directed towards Him. Everything about you is to be for Him. You can't come to a half-heart and be in the kingdom. If you're going to be in the kingdom of Jesus, you need to recognize that He is Lord and only He can be the one. He's Lord over all. Either He has your heart or He doesn't. And number eight, and I'll spend just a, a minute or so on each one of these, notice how specific it is. You know, it's one thing for me to tell you to love the Lord your God. It's another for you to know where and how to do that. Let's break this down. And let me be very clear here. This, is, this shows for what it is. It's not common. This is not Old Baptist, raise your hand, walk an aisle, pronounce you say because you prayed a superficial prayer. There is something about this love that's unique. It's specific. It's not common. He first says, love with all your heart. This is the, the heart is not an emotion. That's a Greek thing. It's the entirety of who you are. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for above all else, it is the wellspring of life. And also from Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. All your choices, all your deeds, all your thoughts, all your words are an outward facade of what's really happening inside of you. Didn't Jesus also say that out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks? Or we might say it another way, out of the overflow of your social media feed, your mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of your political commentaries, your mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of whatever you're listening, reading to, your mouth speaks. But Jesus calls your heart back to him. From the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, Lord, let everything I am about myself be to love you. Secondly, the soul. There's some overlap here with heart and soul. Heart's your inner being, and soul, it could be said, is is, is your emotions, if you want to go that far. Not fickle your affections, but what you really love, what you really desire, that which you fondly love. You are called to love God with all of that. When you enter the kingdom of God, you turn from being a God-hater in your soul and apathetic towards Him to loving Him with your soul. That someday your soul's not just going to be in this dead body six feet under. It's going to be up there with Him, wherever that is, in the heavenlies, worshiped and seated at, uh, seeing Him on His right throne, right hand of the throne of the Father, worshiping Him and saying, Lord, why me? Why me? And isn't that the difference between a Christian and a non Christian? A non Christian who says they're a Christian will simply say, Well, I deserve to get to heaven. But a, non- a Christian's going to say, Why me, Lord? What is it about me? But then he says, your mind. Now, for some of y'all, and, and Brother Derek and I are talking, Brother Derek over here is one of the smartest guys I know. Nelson and Derek and a lot of smart men walking around here. They just get facts and they get them in their heads and they it's just, wow, it's amazing. This isn't just smarts. This isn't just smarts. My brother knows this too. is isn't just smarts. But this is, to love the Lord with all your mind is to make sure that all your thoughts that are governed by your heart and your soul, are being directed that way as well. Your mind is your governor. I'm not a car guy, but the governor helps direct things as they should. This means that when things that enter your mind, you're to do what 2 Corinthians says, and to take all thoughts captive for Christ. Lord, my mind wanders even on a Sunday morning. Lord, my mind wanders when I read my Bible. Lord, my mind wanders when I'm praying for someone. My mind wanders, Lord, when I do these things. Pray about that. Pray about your weakness in prayer, weakness in study, because God will be glorified through that. But in your mind, have you set Him apart above all things? Finally, all your strength. And I'll be honest, for many of you, this one may be surprising for you, because your strength is waning in your days. Your strength is not what it was. You're not as young as you used to be, or even if you are as young as you used to be, you're not as strong, perhaps, as you used to be. Isn't that why Isaiah 40 says that all old men grow t- tired and young men get weary or whatever that is? Yes, Isaiah 40, 30, think, 30, 31, thank you. But all your drive, all your energy, all your industry is to be channeled to loving Him. That's why God requires more than just believing the right things to be a Christian. Did you know that? That's why He tells you that to be a Christian is... It's not just that you have the right beliefs or you grew up in a Christian home or your mommy or daddy or your, your, your was a pastor or a teacher or whatever. Or you can go through the praying. You must give God all that you are. Your strength is taking what's in your heart, taking what's in your soul, taking what's being directed by your mind and applying it to the outside. And just because you can do those things on the outside does not mean you've been saved on the inside. This is why to love Him, you love His Son, you love His Spirit. You love God's Word, His people, His programs. You love His purposes. You love all these things. And guys, that love is going to wane from time to time. There will be times when you may leave your first love, Revelation 2.4. But if it is the Spirit of God in you, then He will bring you back. That's the great news. How do you know if someone is a Christian or not a Christian? You wouldn't have to be drugged to church every week. You wouldn't have to be beat over the head every week to get to church because you love the Lord your God. Now let me be clear. There are times when that wanes, is it not? There are times within the church that you see things in the church, you experience things in the church. But if you love the Lord your God above all things, that, that ember is going to keep flowing even though the, the, the big wood has gone out from time to time. And God's going to fan that flame and bring you back to Him. Can I ask you, have you tried this this week? Have you prayed, Lord, how do I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength in my stage of life right now? You might be surprised how he answers it. Number two, we're not only charged to love the Lord our God above all others, we're to love others authentically, authentically. Look back at verse 30, excuse me, verse 31, and see what he says. I I said this earlier, Jesus gives you a bonus here. Notice the man didn't ask for two, but Jesus gives him two. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall, love your, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting Leviticus 19 here. It's the same thing, that to love God is going to extend outwardly. And who is your neighbor? Isn't that the big question? Our, our son, our, our, son our, our daughter Scarlett, when we drive through her neighborhood to the other neighborhood, she said, are all these people my neighbors? We're still trying to learn proximity at our house. Yes and no, no and yes, but in Jesus' sense, yes, because they're all of these people are our neighbors. And this comes the greatest evidence is how we love our fellow man is how we love God. And this is not Dr. Phil saying that we're to be too hard on ourselves. This isn't, this isn't some pop psychology that we need to come and pat ourselves on the back. Love your neighbor as yourself. Friend, let me be very clear here. You need to deny yourself and die to self to serve Jesus Christ. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. You need to be reminded you don't love the things of this world. You're to love Christ. You always need to hear that. And he's playing on a common truth that everyone takes care of themselves. Ephesians 5, 9. Paul says, quote, no one has ever hated his own flesh, but loves it and cherishes it. I have never been to Muscle Beach in California, but I want to go and flex my muscles someday and see what they do. Because I figure I'm going to make somebody stumble at some point because I'm going to show how strong I really am. No, I'm just being silly. But so much of what we do is about us. And friends, you need to take care of yourself. Let me be clear on this. You do. But so often in our culture, we've swung from uh, not taking care of ourselves, but taking care of ourselves so much to the neglect of those people who God's called us to love. Look, when you're hungry, you eat. When you're sick, if you're available, you take medicine. Go to the hospital. But the result of loving God is to love our neighbors as ourselves. These are the two commandments from the Ten Commandments. The first one, to love our Lord God, is the first table of the law, the first four commandments. And here in this commandment, love the neighbor as yourself, is to summarize the last six person to person. And as you'll see on the screen, we are never free from loving our neighbor just because we disagree about how they became our neighbor. I want you to think about that for a second. You may have missed the point if you can recite a thousand Bible verses like the scribes, but you don't know your neighbor's names. I mean, few things can challenge you, can they, to love your neighbor when you're in traffic and you're in a hurry and you get behind someone on a two-lane road and the passing signs aren't happening because it's curving like this and you're just about ready to bust out of that window and take them out of the road. Come on now. Happens. Or there's someone at the checkout line, at the self-checkout, and all the checkout lines are filled with the same type of people who don't know how to check out the self-checkout, but they're there because there's no cashiers, and you're really getting frustrated because you're like, got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go, and you start saying things, getting mad, and, and that's not really loving your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor is not as long as they agree with all your political, all your moral, all your spiritual, and all your social beliefs. Jesus never said that. He said love them as yourself. That means for some of you, and this may be hard to hear, that may mean for some of you, you love someone of a different ethnicity or a different race that you were grown up to hate. And you know that's not right, but you fight what you've grown up with. For some of you, that may be reaching across the aisle to love a different political party than is different than yours. Now, let me be very clear. We are not saying that you've been the truth of Scripture, right? Right? You're to have a backbone. You're a Christian. You have authority given to you by Jesus to stand and spread the word of God, but you do so in such a way that Christ is honored as we love him first. We love our fellow man. This means that we love Muslims. This means that not every Muslim is a person ready to blow you up so they can go have 70 virgins in heaven. This means that not every Jehovah's Witness is out to get you. Not every Mormon is trying to convert you to be one of their spiritual wives or spiritual husbands. And I'm being silly, but friends, to love our neighbors means literally that we stand on the message of God's Word. And no matter what comes our way, we have the truth within us. But we're willing to reach across where no one else will. That's what it means. W.S. Plummer, one of the great Presbyterian commentators on, on Romans 13, wrote this. And I just want to read some questions to you. How do you apply this? It's so broad. How do you apply this? I just want to read some questions if you'll uh, allow me the time for a couple minutes to read what he wrote. It just convicted me. May it be a challenge to you. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Let me ask you these questions, he says. Is your love to each person genuine? Will it bear the test found in the second table of the law? Are you guilty of sinful anger, of hatred, of envy, of revenge, of excessive passions, of distracting cares? Are your thoughts and feelings and actions kind, meek, charitable, and forgiving? Do you cherish all the pure thoughts of God and purposes of Him? Are your actions for the good of fellow man? Is your apparel modest as to not trip a brother or sister? Is your behavior light? Do you abhor all this unchaste in songs, books, pictures, and thoughts? Is, Is your calling lawful? Are you loving your neighbor by how you serve God? Are you not to make restitution in some cases? Have you forgiven as Christ has forgiven you? Do you grieve at the good name of any person who's been drugged through the mud? Do you needlessly mention the faults of any just because you know information they don't? Do you love to show kindness to all? Are you fair at making bargains? Do you plead with your neighbor as a reason of who you are and what you stand for as a reason not to love them? Wow. I'll send that out over email this week and I'd ask you to pray for that church. It's deep, it covers about everything. But the point of it is are we loving people as Christ would love, or are we simply going through the motions and saying that we are? And notice the response, and this is it. I promise we're ending here. Notice what the guy says. He says, Teacher, verse 32, you're right. You've truly said He's one. There's no other besides Him. And to love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is much more than whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Friend, look, you can come to church. You can, you can do all the motions. You can do all the churchy things. But if you don't love the Lord and you don't love God as God has told you, then you're not walking closely with Christ or at all. And I point all ten fingers back at myself. Are we willing in our church to reach across the aisle to people that have offended us, upset us, been willing that have said something about us? Are we willing to reach across to forgive them if the need arises? And notice what Jesus tells him. He says in verse 34, he noticed he answers well. Did you see what he said? He said, You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that great? We have no idea what happens to this man, but I, I this is not scripture. This is just daring thoughts, but I pray this week, Lord, I want to meet that guy first. The guy who was in the party who hated Jesus, but by God's grace got closer and closer and closer, and finally, we pray, became Christian. Is there someone like that in your life that you need to keep sharing with? You know, there's a story goes something like this, the, the wife and the, the young couple and her husband moved into a new neighborhood and they, the lady kept commenting, and it's been a while since I shared this, but it was apropos that she kept looking at her neighbor outside she'd hang her clothes outside on the clothesline every day and the wife would comment to the young husband, man, she doesn't know how to wash them clothes. They're dirty. And every morning at breakfast they'd say the same things. They must have had an easy life. I can't imagine uh, eating breakfast at the same time every day, but it worked out for them. But one day, the lady said, well, perhaps she needs better laundry soap. Her husband looked on, but he kept being silent. Every time her neighbor hung her wash to dry, the young woman said the same thing about the dirty laundry. Until about one month later, the woman was surprised to see the same lady doing the same thing she does every day, but this time with a nice clean wash on the line and said to her husband, look, she listened to my advice. She cleaned her clothes the way I told her to with the right soap. And as the husband would, he said, Honey, I got up early this morning and I cleaned our windows. You're welcome. (laughs) Sometimes our perception of the reality isn't quite there, is it? Friend, I just want to encourage you this morning that even... I know, some of you are going to really think about that. But I want to remind you this morning that sometimes the perception we have of others and their love for God is how that lady looked at other people. They may love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and other people and you may not see it the way you want to see it but they're doing it. Love them anyway. On the opposite side, there may be people who put on a good show at church but are living like hellions the moment they step out of here and they are no different than that lady looking through the glass the wrong way. Friends, wherever you are, I pray that you take this to heart. Lord, help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, help me to love my neighbor as myself. And Lord, help me to do it, not for my glory, but for yours, because your Son gave his life for me. Will you close in prayer with me as we end today? Father, as we come before you, we thank you so much, Lord. Father, we thank you just that that we have the ability to be loved. Father, forgive us when we think that we have earned the love that comes only in Jesus Christ, that we have somehow uh, deserved it. Father, we are nothing outside of you. We are dead in our sin but god saved us but god raised us up from the dead lord as as your son was raised up from the dead father thank you we don't